African-American business is an essential part of this ideal of Black liberation. Resilience, practicality, strategic thinking. These are the qualities that business leaders have, but sometimes only emerge under the most stressful and sometimes unfair circumstances. In the tradition of making a way out of no way, Black entrepreneurs were forced to sell to their own community, but those businesses allowed them to become economically independent. Wherever we are, we didn't get there by ourselves. And because we did not get there by ourselves, we have an obligation to help those who need us. We have an obligation to give back. If you look at African-American business community traditions, there's always a sense that you do good by doing well, and you do well by doing good. Today's subject is the Negro in business and industry. Hi, I'm Dr. Eric Clavel, and thank you for joining us for this segment of the Clavel Report, where we discuss the state of Black business in America. We just viewed the introduction to this segment from the PBS documentary entitled Boss, The Black Experience in Business. And and for those of you that enjoy Black music and our culture, you just heard the great track behind it of the great late James Brown. Pay the cost to be the boss. When we talk about Black business in America, that's near and dear to my heart. Because I was raised in a household where my father and mother owned a black business, uh, well, I would say a business that was in our, in our community, which is the black community, and of course, us being African American, uh, we were also taught that you should always have your own. The great thing about America is that we can come here and have our own. We're here, and we're able to own property. We're here, we're able to be innovative. We here, we're able to create a product, use our imagination, innovation, and sell uh, to our fellow mankind, not just in our community or in our locality or even in our country, but even now with the invention of the word worldwide web, we can sell all across the world. But even with the ability to be innovative, even with the ability to be able to open your own business and sell, there's still the struggle. For African Americans to own their own business and succeed. We know that most of this, if not all of it, is linked to historical and also current systematic and systemic racism in our practices here in America. It's also based upon stereotypes and misconceived perceptions of who African Americans are. We are great people. And I've always said, and you'll hear me say over and over again, there's nothing greater in America than being African-American. There's no greater experience than being that of African-American because through the hurt, through the horrors, 
in which we came here and continued to strive, we were innovative. We were we use our, our 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 blood, our sweat, our tears. We use all our God-given skills to help build this country from the ground up. And because of using that, in part being forced to do so, but then also helping to capture the American dream that was afforded to our other brothers and sisters here in America, we helped to build this country. I'm going to take a look at some data, and then we'll take a look at the historical aspects of being Black in business, and then the current aspect of being Black and in business. According to blendedmedia.com, it's an article, Are We There Yet? The State of Black Business in America. It shows that from the Small Business Administration, it indicates that over 19 million businesses, or 70.9% of all U.S. businesses, are white-owned. Blacks own approximately 2.6 million businesses, or 9.5 of all U.S. businesses. And Latinos, or our Latinx our brothers and sisters, own about 3.3 million businesses, or 12.2% of all American businesses. As you can see, African Americans, we own a much smaller share of Black businesses here in America. Now, that wasn't always the case where, according to our percentage of this country and according to our situation in this country, we have owned larger businesses, we've owned more influential businesses, we've owned uh, parts of our community at a higher rate than we do now. Now, many of you that have grown up in historical African-American communities like myself, you know, we, I remember going to the local gas station that was owned by an African-American male. We remember going, of course, to the barbershop and beauty shop owned by African-American women and men. Going down to the insurance company, going, of course, to funeral homes and the like. And for us, it was the child care center or the daycare center in the community. There were many businesses that were owned by African-Americans. But and there in others, there were stores that were owned by grocery stores or corner stores owned by African-Americans. But now if you go into those communities, you'll find that many of those businesses that are owned by African-Americans were owned by African-Americans or not. They're owned by other non-white groups. So where did those African-American businesses go? Did they leave and go to other communities or were they priced out or not given the support or could not attain the support to continue that legacy of business in their community. Well, let's first take a look at where we were before. Now, of course, we've just commemorated the 100-year uh, anniversary of the Tulsa race riot, which tore down what we call Black Wall Street. And many of us in this country are now learning about Community, African-American communities that thrived economically. Now, of course, many of us, as I stated, that grew up in these communities, we understood the power of our dollars. We understood the power of our ingenuity. We understood the power of our innovation. And because of segregation, we had to rely upon that innovation. We had to rely upon our ingenuity. We had to rely upon our neighbors accepting our services and offering those services. And that was a good thing because in doing so, we built strong businesses. We've also heard about 
the dollar being able to circulate throughout the community, where the black dollar will circulate uh, dozens of times throughout that black community. Now, the dollar circulates in the single digits in the black community. In other words, when you receive your dollar and you go to the corner store or you go to a business owner or you go to a dry cleaners or you go to any other service sector in your community, it doesn't stay there. It leaves out. So where is that money going? You know, we also take a look at Greenwood. You know, again, when we talk about the the Tulsa race riots, where not only did the dollar circulate, but generational wealth was built in that community. You know, when we really delve deep into uh, that particular area of Tulsa, Oklahoma, there were many other areas. Uh, as a matter of fact, those areas were primarily um, uh, prevalent in the many African-American communities because of segregation. And because of that, generational wealth started to become built throughout the country. Now, of course, at a much smaller level than our white counterparts, but generational wealth was being built. Children of those business owners started to run those businesses. They started to go into business for themselves. So you saw sons and daughters of physicians become physicians themselves and run those clinics or go into other hospitals or open up other practices. You saw sons and daughters of store owners, sons and daughters of barbershops and beauty shops, sons and daughters of insurance companies, sons and daughters of funeral homes, sons and daughters of all types of businesses, go into those businesses and reinvest that money, reinvest in the work that was being done, reinvest in the community, which is also key. When you open up a business in your community, you're also a part of that community. You're a part of the, the makeup, the fabric of that community. You're part of the thread that brings it together. As a matter of fact, as a business owner, your piece of thread is actually more, is probably more significant than many others because you become part of the identity of that community. People travel far and wide to get to your store. They travel far and wide to take advantage of your services. They travel far and wide because of what you offer. In other words, if there's a great restaurant on your side of town, well, we know when it comes Friday payday, we're going to head to that side of town in order to get whatever that, that favorite dish is from that restaurant. Or if you know there's great entertainment that's offered in your community, we're going to travel from far and wide in order to get uh, enjoy that entertainment. That's the power of having a business in your community. That's the power of being a part of the fabric of that community. It's phenomenal to be a business owner because you're not only offering a service, but you're also becoming a part of the identity of that community. As a matter of fact, I started to think about it as I made that statement, how family memories are made in small businesses. You know, there are many times we've had graduation dinners or anniversary dinners at the local uh, restaurant, the Black restaurant in our community. I remember to this day, you know, the great seafood that we used to eat at Freeman and Harris Cafe. Or we would end up going to uh, other businesses and get our first haircut. Or we'd go and buy, you know, our, our first... Uh, uh, 
whatever the case may be, whatever it is, we went there to buy it. And we remember that, that moment that we went there. Memories are made because of the power or the identity or the existence of being in business. So even, even before Greenwood or, or during the time of Greenwood, and we had other communities. We think about Madam C.J. Walker, who used her innovation of hair products to build a beauty empire. Now, this is very significant because when we talk about businesses today, we look at the history. Right now, when we talk about black hair products, a black woman started that particular line for African-American women and built an empire. But then, and train others how to sell, train others how to use that product, train others how to be entrepreneurs themselves. I mean, she was the, we would talk about Avon or, or Mary Kay. You know, she was one of the first in order to, to take that business model and empower others. That's the power of being a business owner. And think about other Black women and Black families that she helped to be able to pull themselves up, as we say about our own bootstraps. But of course we know, and we've talked about it here on the Clever Report, you know, you pull yourself up, but somebody had to teach you how to tie those bootstraps. Somebody had to give you an opportunity to get boots and straps, but it's the ability to know how she taught that. Fast forward today, the black hair industry is not dominated by black people. And there's a billions of dollars in that industry. And it's growing every single year with different hairstyles, with different ways to uh, um, create different styles in, in black hair. It is a multi-billion dollar industry that was first got its roots and started by a black woman. But then we can go even further. When we talk about uh, profiles of, of our music, we look at Kathy Hughes and the power in which she pushed and made her mark in radio. When we talk about CEOs, you know, we look at Merck CEO, Ken Frazier, and look at what he was able to do. Uh, we also talk about Reginald F. Lewis. Now, Reginald F. Lewis is one of my favorite, favorite business owners because he's the one that wrote the book. You know, he's a lawyer by trade, went to HBCU, Virginia State University. And he wrote the book. He said, why should white guys have all the fun? And at the time with Beatrice Foods Group, he actually closed the biggest deal on Wall Street during that time period. He was the first black male billionaire at that particular time. That's huge. That is huge because he was able to see something that others didn't see at the time and said, I can do it too. The belief in yourself that you can do it too in an industry, an industry that is pretty much you know, taken by others that don't look like you. That's the power of being an entrepreneur, a black business owner. But I go back to the principles. I want to go back because I'm a history. I'm a student of history. Some people would mistakenly call me a historian, but I'm a student of history. And in that, I understand the power of Booker T. Washington in creating the best product. And no matter who you are, if you're Black, if you're white, if you're Asian, if you're Latinx, whoever you are, people will come 
far and wide to get that best product. And that's a principle of overcoming, in part, the obstacles in your way. I think about the innovation of those that started, you know, our black magazines, whether it be Essence, whether it be Black Enterprise, uh, whether it be Jet Magazine. I think about the innovation of those in the black press. Now, I know that the black press is is dwindling because of, but we still pay homage to all of those newspapers that helped to push our narrative into our communities and to the greater community, covering stories that others wouldn't cover. Those were started by, out of necessity as well, many of these businesses, but those were started by Black business owners. So when we talk about the power of being a Black business and looking at the history of those that forged ahead and made billions of dollars, millions, and today would be billionaires in today's money, what is the state of Black businesses today? Well, I gave some statistics in the very beginning. But there's another area, another aspect of being a Black business owner that is that now it's getting a lot of a lot of 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 news coverage when we talk about how to operate in this space. And I'm talking about Black venture capitalists. One thing that 2020 did for everyone in the murder of George Floyd, it uncovered the systemic racism in not just law enforcement, not just in media, but in every aspect of our lives. We know that COVID-19, the pandemic, uncovered racism, systemic racism and discrimination in healthcare, which we're still grappling with to this day. We also know that um, in 2020, showed the systemic uh, racism and discrimination and disadvantages in education when we look at the digital divide. And we know that these areas are, are vital, absolutely vital to society. If you're not able to access broadband, if you're not able to access the World Wide Web, I mean, you are basically in a dark age of our society. But when we talk about venture capitalists, we're now looking at the racism that we're confronting in that particular area. As a matter of fact, uh, in this, we Bloomberg created uh, did a story called Black Venture Capitalists Confront Silicon Valley's Quiet Racism. It highlights how this industry is, as they put it, very clubbing. In this particular article in 2020 by Nico Grant, it talks about and highlights the discrimination and, and the hardships that African-American venture capitalists or startups, as we call them, have a hard time getting funding. As a matter of fact, when we take a look at the population in this article that I'm, I'm referencing, it shows that the U.S. population is 13% Black. And we know that that's those that identify solely as African-American or Black. And we know that those that identify as multiple races, uh, Black is part of that, is not counting in this number. So 13% of the U.S. population identifies Black or African-American. And just 4% of the venture capitalist industry is African-American, according to the 2018 data from the National Venture Capitalist Association. 
compare with 3% two years earlier. According to, and I'll refer to the National Venture Capitalist Association as NVCA from, from, from here on, it estimates that 3% of the influential partners who lead investments are African-American. And even according to this article, it states that even when the venture capitalists successfully boost the founders from other under, underrepresented groups in their portfolio, structural forces keep funding for Black entrepreneurs stubbornly low. Why is that? Even when the portfolio is boosted, even when they show that you have a great idea, uh, funding is kind of held back a little bit. Why is that? Does race creep into it? Do the, well, we know from the article, from the statistics, that African-Americans only lead a small percentage in the single digits, not even 5% of venture capitalist firms. So now we're looking at, and you're having to pitch your idea and have non-Black, mostly white men decide whether your invention should receive this capital. Now, of course, I gave the history of how African-Americans were able to build empires, empires with less. But during that time period, we were able to galvanize and that dollar was able to generate and grow over time. With venture capitalists, we know that once you get that infusion of cash, we're talking about millions of dollars infusion of cash in order to build your business. You know, we many of you are have seen the show Shark Tank. Many of you have, have uh, watched it and how they're able to take a business and say, hey, if you give me 35%, I'll give you now a half million dollars, you know, or X amount of million, hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's huge. To be able to pitch your idea and automatically someone says, well, let's work out a deal. I can give you whatever capital you need because I believe in your idea. I believe in it. That is huge. Again, the best product, according to Booker T. Washington, we get individuals from far and wide to come to buy your product. And it shows. But what about funding and moving forward? What about being able to grow that great product, grow that great business? What about that? Well, as a matter of fact, according to this article, uh, there's uh, Tyson Clark is being quoted here at Alphabet Incorporated, uh, talks about he's one of the most prominent venture black venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. And he even wondered whether he was failing to push his colleagues to support more black startups because they didn't fit neatly into the stereotype or the type of successful investment. Think about that. They didn't fit neatly into the type of successful investment. So that shows you that when persons look at they're looking at you based upon a preconceived success model. A preconceived success model. Now, if you've worked in various industries, you know that a lot of industries are copycat industries. Let's take the car industry for an example. When you look at the car industry, that was the SUV that started out. I remember uh, Isuzu had the rodeo. And then after that, Honda created the Passport. 
Of course, the Chevy Blazer was a uh, uh, was before all of that. But now every car maker, even luxury car makers, work are now creating the SUV, and now the compact H- SUV, now the hybrid, because they found a model that works. But somebody had to break out of that model. Someone had to blaze a trail, and somebody had to say, you know what? Let's give this a try. But even if it doesn't work, we're still going. We're going to try because it may be a market for it. Who's going to blaze that trail? That's what individuals have to understand. That's what venture capitalists have to understand that just because they don't fit neatly into that type of that person who's going that you believe has been has been successful before they don't fit within that doesn't mean they're not going to be successful now. So what he's done is that he's started an investment firms to help boost black venture capitalists. Uh, and well, black entrepreneurs with capital. As a matter of fact, he's backed two black founders out of his 11 investments in the past five years. So we're talking from 2015 to 2020. But according to the article, he said he must do better to make a difference reflecting on his role in Silicon Valley caused him to do intense soul searching in the last two months. Now, of course, when this article was written, George Floyd's uh, death was about five months uh, old. So a lot of persons, a lot of industries, a lot of corporations have been doing soul searching because they saw, they saw, you know, how being black in America can be a disadvantage, not because you're black, but because of the structural forces of racism. So when we take a look at the state of African-American business, the state of black business in America, African-American entrepreneurs is a major key in that because it takes a lot to step out to start your own business. It takes a lot to step out and say that I'm going to take a leap of faith. I'm going to do my due diligence. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to sacrifice time with family. I'm going to step out of this job, this stable employment that I have, and I'm going to forge ahead a new pathway. But that support is definitely what's needed. So how do African-Americans now move forward? We saw also, we talked about the lack of access with banks to traditional funding. Uh, African-Americans are now going and have to use uh, more non-traditional funding, such as using credit cards, such as borrowing from their own savings, their 401ks. Now, of course, other business owners have to do this, but we're talking more so. African-Americans have to do this. And because the margin of error, the margin of of failure is so small in order to be successful African-Americans, it's even more vital to get that type of funding that we need in order to be successful. So in essence, being perfect or being better than means a whole lot more when you're a Black business owner than than, than any other time. Because you're just not talking a failure in business. You're talking money. You're talking time. You're talking reputation. You're talking future funding opportunities. And if you're using your personal credit, we're talking seven years of rebuilding that credit. So as you can see, from the state of Black business, from a historical standpoint to now, to what we can foresee in the future, 
this is something that we have to take note of, take pride in from what we've had before and start to rebuild anew. Now, there is one nonprofit advocacy group that's pushing firms to double the number of Black investors to 400 individuals by 2024. Now you say just 400 by 2024. Well, that's huge. Because if you look at the amount of Black entrepreneurs now and those that are getting the funding, it's very, very low. So to double that to 400 means that we're at 200 or less than 200. But it can be done. But it takes individuals who are brave, individuals who are willing to have that entrepreneurial spirit and see something that no one else has seen. Who would have thought that we'll be communicating through a mechanism called Facebook? Who would have thought that we'll be now buying tickets to go into space? Who would have thought that we'll be driving vehicles that are in part powered on batteries and about to be powered on batteries fully? Who would have thought that we'll be getting our energy from wind turbines? or solar panels and not having to burn coal or natural gas. Who would have thought that these things would have happened? The entrepreneurs that dreamed about it and the venture capitalists, and the, they, were, they provided them the funding and those that pressed on to ensure that their business was a success. I believe that the state of Black business is bright. I believe that the state of Black business is bold. I believe that the state of Black business or Black business owners are beautiful. We see numbers, but that's what I believe that we can be moving into the future. But it's going to take those steps to be successful. Whatever you do, whatever you put your hands to, make sure that you do it with all your might. Be the best that you can be. Do your due diligence and seek those that want to support you and forget about those that don't. Because eventually, If you create the best product, they're going to come back to you anyway. I want to thank you again for joining us for this episode of The Career Report as we talk about the state of Black business in America. Make sure you continue to follow us and like us and share on our social media, on our Facebook page, and let us know how we're doing. Until next time, be well, and we'll see you. Thank you for your support.